0: Well, Happy New Year's, Happy New Year's. We are um, going to be in the book of Joshua. We are going to finish the book of Joshua this morning. Uh, we'll start out in Joshua 23. Before we get started, over the summer, we had a men's conference, and I told the guys I, was, I had the opportunity to share there, and I did a, a survey, and I said in January, I'm going to come back up here because the survey was related to uh, how good the guys were at telling the future, and so we're going to find out how they did. Um, <laughs> so they had six, it's only six months in the future, no big deal, right? So one of the questions that I asked was about unemployment. So U.S. unemployment this was over the summer was May of 2022 was 3.6%. And the question was, will unemployment be higher or lower than 5% at the end of 2022? Now, I don't have the December numbers, but I don't think it'll be far off. So as of November, 3.7%. And notice the guys were exactly split on there. So 50-50, not too bad. This one gets me, though. What will the regular unleaded gas cost be per gallon on January first, twenty twenty three? I did look this up this morning. It is two dollars and seventy six cents. We had twelve guys. Let's see how they did. Not good guys. <laughs> There's two people and too bad I was Unanimous, like, or I don't know who, who uh, put the numbers in, but there's two people that did the zero to $4, uh, which was kind of where the current price was over the summer. Uh, I think it was like 3 seventy five somewhere in that area. But I want to talk to those two people, so let me know who you are. Uh, maybe you got some stock advice for me or something. The other people I don't want to hear from, though. <laughs> um, I don't know what lesson there is in that, but I did say I would come up here and share... Um, I guess the lesson is, is that we're, we're not very good at telling the future, <laughs> so let's trust in the promises of God and the word of God, and um, not in our own understanding. And, um, and the other lesson is the two guys I want to talk to you about stock advice. <laughs> Besides that, I don't have anything else. All right. Joshua chapter 23. Um, just so you know, we were in Joshua a couple of weeks ago. At the end of 22, um, the, the land, obviously the, the inhabitants of the land, there's still some inhabitants of the land, but they have conquered the land, meaning there is no standing army in the land. And the land has been divvied up um, amongst the tribes, or we, you know, we might call them states, but tribes of Israel. Um, And there's about an eight-year gap, approximately, between 22 and 23. And that's where we pick up in 23. And this is, you know, at first I was just going to go through 23, but we're actually going to go 23 and 24, which is a good bit of text, but don't be overwhelmed. We're going to um, go through it relatively quickly, a little bit less commentary, a little more reading. Uh, The reason why I wanted to get through it is because it is Joshua's last thoughts, his, his last message to the children of Israel, and so I wanted to cover the whole thing rather than stop in the middle of it, and, um, and I think it's applicable as we go into New Year's here that we look at what an old man, and that's what he called himself, so I'm not being disrespectful, <laughs> an old man has to say right before he says he's going the way of the earth, meaning he's going to kick the bucket, right, and um, he, he comes across unfiltered, he comes across challenging us. And I think this is very relevant for a New Year's message, um, for, for my life and for your life. And so um, let's hear what Joshua's final commission is to the children of Israel and to us. Um, we'll pick up uh, Joshua. Oh, one, one last thing before I get there. What I wanted to say is one thing you'll know you know, Pastor Victor has made this comparison, but I just want to make sure it's clear. There's pictures or shadows of what we can gather, and a lot of times when we just read this as a narrative or a history lesson, we can miss the, how it applies to our lives, right? And so going into the promised land, God was calling the children of Israel out of the world, and to me, this is a picture of us being saved, right? When we cross over into the promised land, it's like us being saved. Um, God calls us out of the world, pulls us out of the world, and immediately as we cross over that Jordan, we're being saved. We're being called into the promises of God. But we still have to conquer the land, right? We still have to walk, and we still have to sanctify, you know, walk through this process of being sanctified in our lives. And that was a picture of Joshua and the children of Israel through the book we're going through, conquering the land, um, and uh, the, the picture of their life and their walk as they go about their Christian life. And the Bible does this comparison of a walk, or uh, Paul does it as a, as a run, but more as a marathon run, not a sprint, right, as we go through life. Um, Galatians uh, 5.15 says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And so j- just as the Israelites were called to walk through the land and conquer and subdue the land, this is our calling on our life, to walk um, the, the scripture never says we are to sprint and collapse and then throw up and then sprint and collapse and throw up, right? Uh, it says we're, this is a picture of a steadiness of a, um, as the life throws us, you know, heavy winds or storms or peaceful times or joyful times that we are steady through it, right? And so that's the picture we get from the scriptures. So Joshua chapter 23 now it came to pass, a long time after the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their enemies round about, that Joshua was, was old, advanced in age. And Joshua called all, for all, the, all Israel, for their elders, for their heads, for their judges, and for their officers, and said to them, I am old, advanced in age. And. Um, Joshua, just to give you an idea, it actually says this quite a few times in Joshua, but about 20, maybe about 20 years prior to this, God says, you are old, (laughs) right? So now he's 20 years older, Uh, but he's about 110 years old. We'll see he dies at 110 years old. This is his kind of final farewell address. He may have been 109. He may have been 110. I don't know, but he's old, right? We get the picture there. And he calls all of Israel back together. Uh, to give them this address, verse three, you have seen all the Lord your God has done to all these nations because of you, for the Lord your God is He who has fought for you, and um, the the picture I get here is that when we when we first learn about the Lord, many of us learn from from others, right? Learn from other people's experiences, learn from what we gather through the scriptures. But these, what, what Joshua is saying is that you have not only learned it from the scriptures, but you have learned it from experience, right? They've walked through the land, they've seen what the Lord has done. And uh, when we first start walking with the Lord, we, we're gonna learn from others' experiences, but when we're obedient to his calling upon our life, then we're going to start learning from our own experiences, and that's where these guys are right now. Verse 4, See, I have divided to you by lot these nations that remain to be an inheritance for your tribes from the Jordan with all the nations that I have cut off as far as the great sea westward. And that would be the Mediterranean Sea on the west side of Israel. Verse 5, And the Lord your God will expel them From before you and drive them out of your sight, so you shall possess their land as the Lord your God has promised you. Now, kind of written between the lines here, we know, given that this is an eight-year period, that they have not accomplished this yet. Right? They're still inhabitants in the land. Yes, the military there may not be a military power, but they're intermingling with the people. They're playing with the things of the world. Right, And so you can kind of see that between the lines where Joshua's still exhorting them and calling them to um, possess the land there. Verse 6, therefore, be very courageous. Now, Joshua's telling the people this. Now, if you remember, as we're going through Joshua, it was God telling Joshua, you need to be very courageous, right? And now Joshua is commanding the people, be very courageous to keep... And to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, least you turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left. Now, what I want to point out here is you guys know we're reading Joshua, which is the sixth book in the Bible. So Joshua's revealed revelation to him was, you know, this this side, right? The first five books of the Bible. Um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the law of Moses. And one thing you'll know, when people are looking back, Jesus does this a lot when he's talking about the scriptures, when he's talking about the Old Testament. When Joshua is looking back at the first five books of the Bible, he does not look at it as metaphors or parables. Um, He doesn't look at the promises of God and say, well, that's an interesting parable. I wonder how that relates, right? He looks at it as truth, as literal truth. When he reads about Noah, when he reads about Abraham, when he reads about the covenants of God, he's taking those literally to heart, and he is acting them out through his life. Jesus does the same thing when he's talking about Noah, right? When he says, as, is, as was in the days of Noah, so will this coming of the Son of Man be. These are real days he's talking about. Um, he does it with uh, Jonah as well, right? Um, he talks about Jonah. This is a real story. This is what really happened. And um, it's important to know that, you know, we get some sects of Christianity today that will read through Genesis and they say, well, those are, those are moral stories to help us guide our lives, but they're not really what happened. That's not what Joshua believed. That's not what Jesus believed. He, they believed they were real things that happened and they oriented their life around these promises, Verse 7, and least you go among these nations, these who remain among you, you shall not make mention of their name, of their gods, nor cause anyone to swear by them. You shall not serve them nor bow down to them. False gods. Um, We see this throughout scripture that this is a problem for mankind. I don't think it's any different today than it was then. I know a lot of people will say, well, we don't we don't worship idols we're we're enlightened now we don't have little idols in our in our family room that we you know gather around and worship um, but we do have things that we put before God and that's where we can take this to heart right to application is are we putting things before God are there idols in our lives that we're putting before God I looked up the top five rev- resolutions for 2023, this is according to YouGov, and I thought, well, maybe we can expound out of this. What are we idolizing in our lives? So the top five resolutions, uh, number one, improve physical health, save more money, exercise more, eat healthier, common, common theme there. Number five, I, th- I found kind of interesting, be happy. <laughs> Just do it. You just get mad at yourself if you don't do it. Um, So those are the top five resolutions for 2023. And so I took this list, and I was just thinking about what are some areas in our lives that we could, when we're focused on these things, that we can prop up as false gods. And um, I'm not going to bring up Georgia football. They had a good game last night, right? (laughs) I won't bring that up. But... (laughs) Um, But, and when I looked at this list, I said, well, some of these are good things, but if put in the wrong place in our lives, they can be propped up as false gods. Self-improvement, a lot of them are around self-improvement. You say, well, self-improvement's a good thing, but if we're always focused on ourselves, is God really the God of our lives, right? Self-satisfaction. You know, we make that a God. How do we satisfy ourselves? How do we satisfy our body? Entertainment. The pursuit of wealth. And of course, being good stewards is a good thing. We know that from scripture. Of money, but if we're oriented our lives around increasing wealth or pursuing that new job, that new thing that the Lord has not given us, um, and we're oriented our life around wealth. This could be a false god that we've raised up. Uh, a life of comfort and ease. I think this is a big problem for Americans, that even when we're not relaxing, we're pursuing relaxing. Like, how do we retire? What about the golden age and all this stuff, right? And, you know, we're in the pursuit of that life of comfort and ease, even if we're not there. And then I put on your family. And, um, you know... Before you kick me out of here, um, family is not a bad thing, and and um, obviously, and we should give care to our family. But we can make this, if we put it above our relationship with God, what will happen is, is we start prioritizing um, things that will get in the way of us worshiping the Lord and being in the right relationship with with the Lord. I've seen dads that are extremely involved in their kids' lives in a good way. I mean, it's good to have dads involved in their, their kids' lives, but they are reject the things of the Lord. They skip Sunday service because they need to do sports because their child is gifted in sports, or they skip doing things of the Lord because their child is smart and intelligent and they need to pursue these things, and... These are good gifts that the Lord has given them. But if we're not showing a pattern of who's first in our life, that I do believe that we could raise the family up as a false God. And um, the most important thing we can do as, as a father, as a mother in our home, is to show our kids through our life that God is the most important to us. And then we do those other things like discipleship and loving our family, of course. Um, But I think it can become a false god in our lives. Verse 8. But you shall hold fast to the Lord your God as you have done to this day. And um, 1 Corinthians 15.58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And again, this picture of walking with the Lord, being steadfast, holding fast to God. I was thinking about this when, you know, when, when um, I die someday and I go the way of the earth as Joshua is about to go here, there's maybe some gifts or talents that people might say about me, which is nice. And there may be gifts and talents people might say about you. Maybe you're gifted musically. Maybe you're a great orator. You know, I can think Billy Graham. You know, maybe a great evangelist. Uh, there may be some great gifts and talents. But the greatest compliment I think would be that he was steadfast in the things of the Lord. Right? For any and any one of us could do that. Um, that's not a a uh, you know a special gift. Right? It being holding fast to God in season and out of season, uh, when things are tough, when when maybe we feel distant from God or we feel close to God, that we are, our life is defined by us being steadfast and holding fast to the Lord. Verse 9. For the Lord has driven out from before you great and strong nations, but as for you, no one has been able to stand against you to this day. One man of you shall chase a thousand, for the Lord your God is he who fights for you as he promised you. And um, I like this quote from uh, Martin Luther. He says, of whom shall I be afraid? One with God is a majority. And, uh, you know, we have a lot of talk about democracy and, you know, the majority and stuff. And we see this picture here in the scriptures, and, you know, you know about it in Judges with Gideon. And what happened here with the children of Israel as is they conquered the land, where one person, God working through one person, that is a majority. And um, Joshua is reminding them of that. Um, at the end of the book of Matthew, Jesus tells us, and we need to remember this as we're walking through life, he says, the last. Phrase he says at the end of the book of Matthew, he says, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And um, we need to remember that. um, We're not at the end of the age yet. And God says, I am with you always, right? And if God is with us, who could be against us? And um, with God, one is a majority, right? Verse 11. And I've underlined this verse in my Bible because it's the first command he gives us here, and it's an important one. Therefore, take careful heed to yourself that you love the Lord your God. And this is a command, and I think of it as a um as a vow. You know, I I'm reminded of when when I got married, of course, you have a lot of feelings of love at that time, right? And when you, when you go and take those vows, you're committing, saying, no matter what your feelings are, this is what you're going to do. You're going to take these vows for each other. And the feelings don't matter because feelings can come and go, right? And this is what Joshua's telling us here is that no matter what you do, the first thing you need to do is to love the Lord your God. And this is not a, um, something that says, I feel close to the Lord, so I'm going to do this, or I don't feel close to the Lord. You just do it, right? This is his command for us. Verse 12, Or else, if indeed you go back and cling to the remnant of these nations, these that remain among you, and make marriages with them, and go into them, and they to you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations from before you, but they shall be a snare and traps to you and scourges on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land, which the Lord your God has given you. And what he's telling us here is, well, if you don't do this, here's what you're going to get, right? And God promises us defeat. He's you know, snares, scourges, suffering, um, that ultimately the children of Israel will perish from the land. And, you know, obviously as we go through Scripture, we see that where God pulls generations of Israelites out of the land. The the land covenant is still true. God gave the land to the children of Israel. But for seasons, he did pull them out of the land. And so he tells them this here as a warning. Verse... Um, Verse 14. Oh, sorry. I'm going to go back to verse 13. Okay. And so um, what I want to look at real quick is one concept we get here, which is when we go into the promised land, that's, you know, God calling us and saving us from our sins. Um, But just because we've been taken out of the world, right, taken out of Egypt or taken out of, you know, uh, Abraham, I'm thinking of taken out of Ur, right, and pulled up over to the other side of the river of Euphrates, even as we're taken into the promised land, into the land of Canaan, that the world can still be in us. And that's what Joshua's warning about here. Um, In Numbers 14.4, it says... This is the children of Israel as they're wandering in the wilderness they say so they said to one another let us let us select a leader and return to egypt and so we could see as we as the world is in us that we we have this desire in our flesh to return to the things of the world to return outside of the promises of God there's another verse um, in In numbers as well, where they're crying out for like the leeks and the onions, right? They remember the onions in Egypt. And uh, that one always cracks me up because I think I'm kind of neutral on onions personally, but I think really you trade in onions for your freedom? I mean, that seems like, I don't know, it doesn't seem like a good trade, but they must have been incredible onions. (laughs) And uh, I do want to ask those guys when I get to heaven, I mean, tell me about the onions because this is surprising. Either way, th- those things were in their, their heart still, right? Those things of Egypt were still in their heart, and they desired for them um, because they weren't following the Lord, because they weren't listening and being obedient to the Lord, that they were being drawn to the world. And um, we need to be very careful about this, because even though we're called out of the world, we still could have the world within us, right? And we need to be careful about these things. Um, just as Joshua is warning them here. All right, so now we'll go to verse 14. Behold this day, I'm going the way of all the earth. So he's about to kick the bucket. And you know in all your hearts and in your, your soul that not one thing has failed of all, of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you, all have come to pass for you. Not one word of them has failed. And um, you could tell here that Joshua, this is the point I was making, was holding on to the promises of God, and he is looking back now at what God has done through the Abrahamic covenant and saying, you told us you would give us this land, and you've done it. All of your promises have come to pass. And I believe as we're, you know, about to pass, go the way of the earth, as Joshua says, that we're going to look back at our lives and we could even do it today and look at the provision God has brought upon our lives, his, how he has supplied our needs. When we follow him, that our life is more abundant. Um, as believers, that we can look back a year, or two years, five years, and we could see how the Lord has worked in our life and how he's promised to, that he will continue to work in our life and continue to work those things out. And we could see that in our life, that he has been faithful to those promises. Philippians four, uh, six through seven says, "Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to be made known to God." And the peace of God, which suppress, suppresses all surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So God even promises us peace as we. Um, pray and give thanksgiving to him that he will give us that peace. So we need to hold tight to these promises the Lord has given us, just like Joshua did. Um, Verse 15. Therefore it shall come to pass that as all the good things have come upon you, which the Lord your God promised you, so the Lord will bring upon you all harmful things until he has destroyed you from this good land, which the Lord your God has given you. When you have transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and have gone and served other gods, and bowed down to them, then the anger of the Lord will burn against you, and you shall perish quickly from the good land, which he has given you. And as we finish chapter 23 there, we could see Joshua's kind of giving us a an overview of the Mosaic covenant, which is a conditional covenant. And it's a blessings and a cursing covenant, right? If you do this, if you do what God commands you, you're going to be blessed. And if you don't do what God's command you, you're going to be cursed. And it's a bit prophetic that Joshua is speaking here, but it's also telling us what God has already said through Moses and the Mosaic covenant, that these are the things that are going to happen when you reject God. Now, thankfully, we live under a covenant of grace, right? The new covenant. Um, But uh, this is, you know, obviously Joshua looking back and telling the children of Israel these things. Now, as we go into chapter 24, um, Joshua will conclude, but he's going to first lay out a history. And so we're going to do a good bit of reading through the first uh, about 13 verses here. And he's going to lay out a history. And I think it's um, interesting how he does this. It reminds me of Stephen in the New Testament, uh, right before he's stoned and martyred, right before he calls uh, the Pharisees stiff-necked, you know, these stiff-necked people, you know, you're always turning your prophets over. And, but before he does that, he lays out the history. And he says, you've always rejected the Holy Spirit. Look, look at your history. Look at what you've done. And Stephen lays out the history before he does that, before he calls them out. And Joshua is going to do the same thing here. He's going to lay out a challenge for the children of Israel, but he's going to start with the history, and he's going to say, look at what God has done, okay, before I lay out this challenge for you. So we're going to do that. Uh, Verse 1 of chapter 24. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel, for their heads, for their judges, and for their officers, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord God of Israel, your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river. And that would be the, what he's talking about here is the, the river Euphrates. Obviously, Abraham and his family was from Ur of the Chaldeans, and God called Abraham out across the river Euphrates in old times, and they served other gods there. Then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river, led him through all the land of Canaan, and multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau I gave the mountains of Seir to possess. Now, the mountains of Seir, this is the area of modern-day Jordan, and so that was an inheritance given to Esau. But to Jacob and his children, they went down to Egypt. Also, I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt, according to what I did among them. Afterward, I brought you out. Verse 6. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the, to the sea. And the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And the Red Sea is to the south of Israel, they had to cross the Red Sea to get into the promised land. And so uh, they pursued them to the Red Sea, verse 7, so they cried out to the Lord, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, brought the sea upon them, and covered them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. Then you dwelt in the wilderness a long time. And that that's kind of a nice way to say it, because it's 11-day journey from where they were by the sea to the to the promised land, to crossing the Jordan. And it took them 40 years. So, you know, they they meandered for a little bit. So they were there for a long time. And verse 8 says, And I brought you into the land of the Amorites, who dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. So that'd be the east side of the Jordan. And they fought with you. But I gave them into your hand, that you might possess their land. And I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor... King of Moab arose to make war against Israel and sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Therefore, he continued to bless you. So I delivered you out of his hand. Then you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho. And the men of Jericho fought against you. Also the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Gersarites and the Hivites and the Jebusites but I delivered them into your hand. I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out from before you. Also the two kings of the Amorites, but not with the sword or with the bow. And what God's saying, or what Joseph's saying, is that it wasn't through military might that they did this, but God did this. Verse 13, I have given you a land for which you did not labor, and cities which you did not build, and you dwell in them. You eat of vineyards and olive groves, which you did not plant. And um, I, lo- I love it. if We're going to look at the challenge here next that Joshua gives them. But I love it that he does this. And I think it's a good reminder for us to look at your own story. Like, how did you get here right now? You know, how has the Lord brought you here? Some of it is a, a generation, a legacy, kind of like Joshua goes back to Abraham and says, well, the first one that called out was Abraham. And some of us can look at that legacy, a family legacy of generations of what the Lord has done. Others, it started with you, right? That legacy. And you can can look back at your life and see what the Lord has done. And when we come before the Lord, having that perspective like Joshua has is very important, I think. Verse 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord... Serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. Because of the Lord, what the Lord has done for you, serve the Lord. Verse 15, and if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in in whose land you dwell. And I'm going to finish the verse here in a second, but I like the challenge because Joshua says, make a choice. He knows they're dabbling in the things of the world. He knows they haven't possessed the land fully. And he's saying, make a choice today. Who are you going to serve? And it reminds me of Revelation 3, 15 through 16. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. And those are the words of the Lord through the church in Laodicea and the book of Revelations. But we see the same picture where Joshua, he's giving his final address, and he's saying, will you just choose? You know, don't play in the things of the world and act like you're following the Lord. Choose for yourself this day. And I love that picture. And he finishes the verse off, and he says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And many of us have, you know, Probably that verse somewhere in their house, maybe, you know, over a door frame or on a refrigerator, it's a common one to have that everybody knows. And that's what Joshua is proclaiming, but he's also challenging them to make a choice. Verse 16, so the people answered and said, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is he who has brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt, from the house of bondage who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the people, including the Amorites who dwelt in the land. We also will serve the Lord for he is our God. And now this These can only be, the next couple of verses can only be the words of an old man, Uh, because this is his last message, and I think he understands that their hearts may not be fully in it yet. And so verse 19, but Joshua said to the people, you cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God, he is a jealous God, he will not forgive your transgressions, nor your sins, If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done good. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. So Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourself that you have chosen the Lord for yourself to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses Verse 23, now therefore he said, put away the foreign gods which are among you and incline your heart to the Lord God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made for them a statue and an ordinance in Shechem. Then Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. He This is the sixth book of the Bible, right, that we're looking at right now. And he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness to us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord which he spoke to us. It shall therefore be a witness to you, lest you deny your God. So Joshua let the people depart, each to his own inheritance." Now, I'm going to finish this up, and the, the worship team could come on up, and um, we will just finish up the rest of this chapter here as, jo- as Joshua passes away. Verse 29, now it came to pass after these things that Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him within the border of his inheritance in Timoth, Sierra which is in the mountains of Ephraim on the north side of Mount Gash. Israel served the Lord, and this is this is great news. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua, not only that, and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had known all the work of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. Now, we know in the book of Judges, things take a southward turn, unfortunately, right, for the children of Israel, but at this time, They did follow through with their commitment. Verse 32, the bones of Joshua, or I'm sorry, the bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel had brought up from Egypt, they buried at Shechem in a plot of ground, which Jacob had brought from the sons of Hamer, the father of Shechem for 100 pieces of silver, and which had become the inheritance of the children of Joseph. And Eliezer, the son of Aaron died. They buried him in a hill belonging to Phine- Phineas, his son, which was given to him in the mountains of Ephraim. And we finished the book of Joshua. And um, there's really two things I want to leave you with before we close here. Is I thought this was really relevant to today. And I actually, before... Um, the incident on Christmas Eve with Pastor Victor, I did ask him, he had finished 22 last time we talked together, and I said, do you mind if I just continue on because uh, I was planning on doing a New Year's message and I thought this, is, this would be a good New Year's message because it's, we're looking at resolutions and what are we gonna do in 2023? And the challenge that Joshua gives us here as we look back at our lives is to choose for ourselves as we go into the new year who you will serve. Make a choice and make a commitment to put God at the center of our lives. Put away those false gods that we've elevated in our lives and orient our entire lives about being obedient to the Lord. You with me on that, church? Amen. All right, let's pray, and I'm gonna turn it over for a song of worship. Lord, these words are in your word, word for a reason, Lord, that you, not only for the children of Israel there, but for the generations to come, that we would be challenged by them, that we would make application in our life, my life personally, Lord, and I pray for the congregation here at CR, that we would just fall into obedience under you, Lord, and I just pray over everyone here, everyone listening, Lord, that you would give us the strength. We. We can't do it ourselves, but we do have responsibility, Lord. We do have responsibility to love you and to focus on your will, Lord. And but we need your strength, Lord. So please help us, Lord. I pray for anybody that hasn't stepped into the promises of God, hasn't stepped into the promised land, Lord, that you would convict them this morning, that you would call them, Lord, to you, that they would take that first step and out of the world and 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 be drawn into you and to right relationship with you. And they would give their lives to the Lord this morning, Lord. And 2023 would not even be just a picture of a new year, but it would be a new life that they would live in you, Lord. Lord, we love you and praise you. We're going to sing this song out to you, Lord, and then I'll come up here and and close.